time again for Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner, and we're talking all that is Minnesota Twins. And we're about 10 days from opening day upon recording. Uh, apologize for being a day or two late with the recording of this podcast. Uh, just had a couple things. I uh, get busy with my main job uh, over the last week and now finally a time to sit down, flesh out some things to say about the Twins as we get ready for opening day, which again is 10 days away. We are so very, very close to opening day. And I think it's it's it gets to that point. You know, you see it all the time in NFL training camps uh, where you get to a point where everybody's excited and everybody wants to talk about the new things. And then you get to another point where you're just ready to move on and get to the games. Like the practices are all the same. They're doing the same things or I've seen enough training, uh, spring training games. I've seen enough pictures of them walking to the batting cages and doing the little questions as they walk past. Uh, it's finally time to start playing some baseball games. Now we're still 10 days away and it's very vital 10 days for some of these twins as we get ready for opening day. We'll get to that in a second. First of all, uh, the Twins are back from the World Baseball Classic, I believe, because the only teams left are Mexico, Japan, and the United States. And uh, go USA. Uh, the one thing about the World Baseball Classic that's fun is, one, it's a World Baseball Classic. It's a worldwide celebration of baseball. But secondly, is you get to cheer for guys who you don't normally get to cheer for. Uh, just And, I mean, you can always cheer for Mike Trout. You can always cheer for Mookie Betts. You can always do that stuff. But to, like... Uh, you know, get to cheer for him is like they're on my they're on my side, they're on my team. I don't know. It's dumb. Uh, it may be dumb sounding uh the way it's coming out of my mouth, but uh I I enjoy it. I enjoy getting to watch Mike Trout and not just being like, oh wow, he hit a single. Good for him. To to really just feel kind of excited about it more than just watching as a normal neutral fan to have some weight in the game. Uh, is fun. It's a very fun experience. And Trey Turner, man, he's been mashing the baseball and Team USA. And again, I think I've said this on the podcast before. They don't quite have the pitching to be able to run with uh, every team. And let's be honest, the Puerto Rican team at full strength, probably the toughest team. But Japan also, because Japan is good. Don't know if you know this, the guy named Otani, he picked up like a million Instagram followers uh, just in the last week alone, um, which is amazing that people still are coming around to, hey, Shohei Otani might be pretty dang good at baseball. Uh, blows my mind. But you kind of see the importance of the World Baseball Classic and, and all that it brings. And I'll get to that in a second. But uh, USA playing in the championship game, going to play either Mexico or Japan. Those two teams play tonight. And then we will decide the champion, which country has the best baseball, at least according to this tournament. Anyway. Uh, there's been some controversy in the World Baseball Classic, and it's not just been Team USA's pitching, which, you know, has been, it's fine, but when, like, Adam, when uh, Long in the Tooth, Adam Wainwright, and uh, big boy Lance Lynn are your two guys, you're kind of running into some issues, uh, pretty much. You're not, you're not necessarily in great territory, but... Uh, the bigger controversy is the fact that Puerto Rico, uh, in their win, and I'm, I'm the I'm trying to remember which country it was, and now uh, making great podcasting here. But uh, uh, in that game for Puerto Rico, uh, Edwin Diaz tore his knee. Knee injury, I think, was the uh, the right thing. Anyways, the point is the Mets closer is out for the whole season, and it wasn't even for playing in the games. It was for celebrating one of the wins, which, you know, if you're somebody who says, well, he could have gotten hurt doing that at spring training, 
say, well, nobody's usually jumping up and down celebrating during spring training games, but also at the same time, uh, it's just a fluky injury. Guys could be messing around with each other and that could happen. And it's an unfortunate injury. And we've seen a couple unfortunate injuries uh, throughout the world baseball classic um, with of course, Diaz missing the whole year and Jose Altuve breaking his thumb. He's going to miss a couple months. So again, you know, if your major league baseball teams and one of your star players gets hurt, you are not very happy, but you've seen this. And especially from Mets fans, you've seen a lot of clamoring. You've seen a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh my gosh, the world baseball classic is such a terrible thing and it needs to be eradicated. Why is this thing even here? It it needs to be here for the growth of the game. We just talked about why Shohei Otani has picked up a million Instagram followers. He's the first baseball player, uh, to, I think he's out of any active major league baseball player. He has the most Instagram followers. I think is the right way to word that statement. And a big reason why it's been the world baseball classic, pushing him over the edge and the world baseball classic has a lot to offer. Is it the best and the brightest? Is it, you know, the greatest baseball we'll see? Yeah, probably not. Guys are still warming up in the season. It's still not quite a, a great time to be thinking baseball. And, you know, there's NBA, there's NHL, there's March Madness going on. There's, you know, but whatever. There's some flaws with the World Baseball Classic, and it's not a perfect system, and it's not a perfect tournament. But also, there needs to be a little room to let the World Baseball Classic become a thing and become important. Because even though it's not important to Americans generally, I mean, I want Team USA to win. I'll watch the games. But at the same time, I'm not living and dying on every breath like maybe some of these other countries have been. I mean, you talk, all these other players talk about the environment that they get to be in with the World Baseball Classic and being in front of all these people and uh, just the stadiums in Miami and Arizona and uh, Tokyo. They've had such great crowds. And I, the front office sports has a great threat. So at risk of mumbling for a second here, I want to pull up this thread by front office sports. It was on their Twitter. And they had a great little rundown of the World Baseball Classic and just the impact that it's been having over the last couple weeks here so uh it's a long thread but it's basically doing really well worldwide even if most americans don't really think it is japan's world baseball classic win over korea drew 62 million viewers in japan alone more than the most watched world series game ever nearly half of all japanese households were tuned into that baseball game that's pretty good the 2023 World Baseball Classic drew 1.01 million fans in attendance through the first round, a 98% increase from 2017. It was the most attended round in tournament history. The World Baseball Classic Pool D games in Miami drew 20, uh, 295,850 fans, the most in attendance ever uh, on U.S. soil. 62% of Puerto Rican households were tuned in to watch their team defeat the powerhouse Dominican Republic. Okay, there was... There was the matchup, Dominican Republic. The Czech Republic made its World Baseball Classic debut. Despite not having a pro league, 240,000 Czechs watched their national team, made up of teachers, firefighters, and electricians, take on Japan. It was the most watched baseball broadcast in the country's history. In host Taiwan, Chinese Taipei's games averaged 1.3 million viewers. It was the most watched sports programming in the market in nearly two years. Now, I know COVID has some things to say about that, but the point is, People have made a point to tune in and made a point to make it must-see television 
Uh, Shohei Otani has gained 1.36 million followers on Instagram. The first major league baseball player to have more than 3 million followers on the app. Mexico's upset of the USA in Phoenix drew 47,534 fans, a world baseball classic attendance record for a first round game. Great Britain made its debut uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway. Okay. So that's the end of the thread, but the point is, there's a whole lot of interest that comes from the world baseball classic. And I've been saying, I've been dwelling on this a little bit more than I should, but it's important. And even though I'd much rather see the twins win a world series than I would the USA win a world baseball classic to some of these other players winning a world baseball classic for their country to do it with their brothers in a land they came from means a lot. And you know, some people can point to that and say, Hey, isn't that a little, a little weird. You're kind of assuming that two things. One Puerto Rico's like, the size of well, Iowa, maybe uh, I have bad at geography. So I'm sorry, any Puerto Rican listeners, but uh, it's not a big Island. And so it's the same thing of when there's a basketball player that comes from Minnesota and goes to the NBA. And then there's another one that goes to the NBA and was like, Oh my gosh, like, wow, these guys must, you know, like it is, you know, it matters to some people more than it does to others, but there's a lot of pride in where you come from. And you, you see that a lot in the Japanese league. You see it a lot in these Latin American leagues as well. There's a pride in where you come from and, and what you're doing. And you get to play for your national team and do it on the world stage and try and prove you the best in the world. And for, I mean, a lot of these countries love the world cup and it's baseball's trying to make its own world cup in a sense. And this was also created in part because baseball didn't always be in the Olympics. It just got back because Joe Ryan pitched for that team uh, in 2021 for the U S Olympic team. But before that there was no baseball in the Olympics. So this was a way to try and grow the game internationally. And if you know, it may not, it might not grow the game in the United States. It might not make major league baseball many more dollars in 2023 than it would have otherwise. But at the same time, you have to let this game grow across the world. Otherwise, I mean, people talk about all the time on America, baseball is a dead sport. And I mean, I disagree wholeheartedly, but I might be biased. I don't think it's, I mean, there are declining things. I don't think it's a dying sport. I don't think the sport is dead or on its last breath. I think it's in a coma. And I think there's things that will be done that should spark a little bit more interest, but also, you know, it's a, it's a very systemic problem anyway. So I've rambled enough on the world baseball classic. I know Edwin Diaz got hurt. I know Jose Altuve is going to miss time and that stinks, but at the same time, this is good for the game. And there are players, and this is my second point who would rather win a world baseball classic than win a world series. And I mean, as an American, I don't get that. And I think that that's weird, but also I can understand why some people would want to do that for their home country. It makes sense. Would you rather do it for your home country or for some city that you just happen to work in? Uh, if you're a player who's not from this country, anyway. All right. Uh, point is, I mean, I just want, I just want the Twins to win a World Series. I think that's the that's the main takeaway. So how do they get there? Well, we got some news and notes to talk about with those Minnesota Twins. They made some minor league cuts: Brooks Lee, Ed Julian, Matt Walner, uh, Giovanni Moran. All got option to minor league camp. So let the bodies hit the floor or hit the minor league floor is maybe the right way to word that we're starting to see a little bit of cuts as we're 10 days away from opening day, but still not quite at that number uh, of the 26 man roster. Still a few more cuts to go and we'll know a lot more in the next week, but looking at some twins news, it appears that we have some injury updates. We talked about the injury updates last week for Kirilov and for 
Buxton and Polanco. Well, Kirilov, we already, I mean, it's pretty much settled that I, he's not going to make the team coming out of spring training or it's a long shot. Most likely starts off in an extended spring. That's just me kind of going off with what I've been reading. And now we get an update from Falvey as he talked to reporters on Buxton and on Jorge Polanco. Byron Buxton has been slowly ramping up into some minor league games and I believe will play a major league spring training game soon. And as we talked about last week on the podcast, I said, you know, with Buxton and Polanco, I'm not going to be worried until I'm given a reason to be worried once we have an update, the closer we get to opening day. And we got the update on Buxton. He's ramping up. Piers Buxton's going to be fine uh, to start the season, you know, whether it's in center field, whether it's a DH, who knows. But the point is he's on the big league club as we get ready for the season. But Jorge Polanco is the other one, and that's the interesting wrinkle in all of this. So Michael A. Taylor was brought in as Byron Buxton Insurance, and he was brought in to be Buxton Light. And if Byron Buxton has to DH because he's not quite ready to go for opening day, then Michael A. Taylor steps in as center fielder and you move on. But with Jorge Polanco... Uh, Derek Falvey admitted that they're, he's not progressing on their timeline. He's not progressing where they want him to be, which does not bode well for Jorge Polanco's chances of starting on opening day. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, based on this, we're only 10 days away. He's probably not going to be on the team to start opening day. And I, and I don't know quite the path to take on that. Cause there's two paths you could take with the injury news about Polanco is one that, He's not going to start on opening day and he's going to be on the IL for 10 days and he'll come back in mid-April and he'll be fine and we'll play on and nothing will really matter and he'll still get in over 100 games throughout the year. The second way to interpret that is that Jorge Polanco has a very real injury that could cost him significant time because remember Jorge Polanco missed all of September with that knee injury and he had all offseason to rest and then giving him all spring training to slowly work his way back in and he's still not ready, which means there's probably a chance that he's not ready. And there's probably a chance that this could be something way more significant. So he's either nursing it and the twins are being slow and cautious and methodical, or there's a serious concern and Polanco's either going to miss significant time this season or have to play through a somewhat significant injury to try and contribute on this twins team. And here's the thing with Jorge Polanco. The twins do have some depth, as we've talked about in detail on this podcast, go back and listen to it. Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, all that good stuff. But with Polanco, there's Kyle Farmer. Who's there. He's a righty. So you got the option against lefties. You have Donovan Solano, although Solano, depending on Alex Kirilov, uh, plays at first base probably. And because they probably twins probably want to keep Joey Gallo in the outfield. So you have that, but then you also have Nick Gordon, who can step in. Nick Gordon has been progressing along, uh, basically appears to be fine after having that high ankle sprain or ankle sprain or whatever it was uh, coming back from that. Uh, And it was deemed to be minor at the time, but so Nick Gordon's back. He's going to be playing Uh, in terms of other infielders. You have Ed Julian, you have Brooks Lee, uh, not on the roster because they got optioned to minor league camp, but they are options there. And I know some people have said, you know, why don't they reward Julian for his world baseball classic performance and, and, you know, just his general performance in camp. And I get the general notion to do that, but there's no reason for the twins to do it right on opening day. Otherwise they wouldn't have reset. They wouldn't have went out and signed Solano then they would have they would have done something else. Signing Donovan Solano maybe was Jorge Polanco insurance. Maybe they knew something was up 
or maybe they just wanted to bring in an extra body in the case of something like this happening, where now Donovan Solano can play first base, Kyle Farmer can play second, and now you have your infield, and maybe Nick Gordon works in there against righties and whatnot. But the thing with Jorge Polanco isn't just that, oh, the twins have Solano, and now they're going to be fine. The thing is, Jorge Polanco is one of the most underrated twins on this roster. And I feel like it kind of needs to be said all the time because Polanco misses some time and everybody goes, oh, it's just Polanco. What do we got to worry about? It's not too bad. But Jorge Polanco is a quietly productive guy. Every single time at the end of the season, except maybe last year when he was battling some injuries and missed the last month, but there's been a lot of times with Jorge Polanco where you look at him and all of a sudden at the end of the season, you go, whoa, how has this guy been contributing this much to the team? And that's been... The thing with Polanco, that's been kind of his career story outside of 2019 where he had a great first half. Um, He's a guy who slowly, all of a sudden, finishes the season with like a three war and slashes around like an 800 OPS and drives in 70-some RBIs, gets close to 25 homers. Jorge Polanco is a quietly productive guy, even though his second base isn't, you know, it's not bad, but he's not bad for a second baseman. Uh, With Polanco you're going to have to replace that hitting. And it goes the same thing with Buxton. Is it great to have Michael A. Taylor to be able to play a competent center field and not have to reshuffle guys around the diamond? Of course it does. But at the end of the day, Byron Buxton's bat is just levels above Michael A. Taylor's. So when given the choice, you want to have Byron Buxton's bat in the lineup and even DHing Buxton and putting Taylor in center field. And again, Taylor's no scrub as a hitter, but he's not a, a hitter. He's not... He's not at the, he's just not at the level Buxton is. And you're going to take a step down when you do that. He's going to be a bottom of the lineup kind of hitter, Michael A. Taylor. And that's again, no knock on Taylor. He's a major league ball player, a veteran, but it's to say that he's just nowhere near Buxton and you're taking a significant drop off because you have to use the designated hitter spot on Buxton and then center field has to be taken up by Taylor instead of Buxton taking center field and then using the DH spot on whoever you see fit. Maybe it is Solano, maybe it is Larnick, maybe it is whoever to get to use in that situation. And the same thing goes true for Buxton, uh, for Polanco, excuse me. Uh, Kyle Farmer is fine. Donovan Solano is fine. But again, they're no, they're not, they're not Jorge Polanco. And especially with Donovan Solano, he's a guy who's just kind of had that sneakily productive seasons as well but he's much older. And is there a drop-off point at some point? And again, there's a lot of question marks with Jorge Polanco and when he'll come back. Now, the the easy answer, maybe without thinking, is that I'm making too much of this and that, yeah, he has a setback and maybe he just doesn't quite start the season on opening day. Whatever, he'll come back in mid-April. The problem is, is the Twins can't really rely too much on... um. You know, you can't always rely on the, well, if he just sits out the first month, he'll be fine. Because you the games in April mean just as much as they do in August with baseball and with any sport. So, yeah, the twi- and and especially if the Twins were to start like 0-6 to start the season. That would be disastrous. Disastrous. And not saying that Jorge Polanco means you're six, you know, you're six losses down. Like you add an extra six losses, but it's to say that if you don't have Jorge Polanco and Byron Buxton ready to go in their spots, you know, you're coming in not at full strength. And even though you have the depth and yes, you need to be able to tap into said depth. You also 
have Jorge Polanco starting for a reason. And he was going to hit towards the top of the lineup. And I've talked about on this podcast and in writing that he's a sneaky leadoff type hitter and he's not quite healthy. So again, he could miss the first couple weeks. He could miss the first month. He could miss no time, but if he's hurt and he's going to miss time or if he's hurt and he's not as productive at the plate, it's going to not help the twins. And again, you cannot start the season bad. The whole first season in baseball is a race to mediocrity. Do be 500, hover around the 500 mark or better. If you're all of a sudden at the end of April, seven games below 500, I'm sorry, your season's over already. It's like when the Twins started 0-9. It didn't matter what they did after that. The season was over. They lost. Their their season's done. Good day, sir. It's mid-April. You know, school's not even out yet, and we basically already written them off for the summer. So that's the, the – and again – blowing this out of proportion maybe just a little bit, but also at the same time, we can't quite just look it over and smooth it over and pretend nothing's wrong. That being said, time is the best factor here, and maybe it is blowing it a little out of proportion. You know, maybe Polanco's, he comes in in two weeks and it's fine, and nobody even notices. Because again, some of the Twins have had their best seasons when they've taken time to get fully healthy. When you look at Miguel Sano in 2019, who missed all the first month of the season, and Joe Maurer in 2009, missing the entire first month as well. So, okay, that's the injury updates there. Let's see what else we got here uh, on our news and notes for the Twins. Uh, again, Ed Julian, Brooks Lee, Matt Walner, Louis Varlin, Giovanni Moran, all those guys got sent down to minor league camp, and none of them really surprised me. Uh, there's none that come to mind as a huge shock. Again, I know Julian and... Lee were talked about some replacements, but for uh, Polanco, but I just don't see them rushing along this process. And especially if Buxton's not going to come or if Polanco, excuse me, is not going to come back right away. You don't really want to rush these guys and you don't want to rush them up. Excuse me. If Polanco's going to play right away, if he's going to miss two weeks, don't call up Julian. If Polanco's going to miss the first half of the season, call up Julian at the end of April because Julian still hasn't played in AAA yet. And I know Royce Lewis never played in AAA before coming up to the big leagues and he was fine, but it just goes to show that sometimes you can't rush these prospects and it's sexy and it's, uh, it's headline generating and it's exciting when the twins call up prospects, especially out of, uh, out of spring training into opening day. But I think the right approach probably is to wait through April and again, we talked about there's a fine balancing act. If you don't want to put too much importance to the beginning of the season where you run your players raw right away and you don't want to give it and you don't want to give it zero intensity to where all of a sudden you start the season eight games below 500 before you've even hit May, that's not an ideal situation either. So there's some kind of balance there in the middle for uh, for the Twins in this situation. And I just think it... I think you need to rely with your depth because you bring in Solano on a major league contract to start in case one of your starters isn't ready to go. You don't bring him in just so he's there and then are ready to call up Ed Julian at the first sign of trouble because if the Twins felt confident enough in Julian, they probably wouldn't have gotten Solano. That's at least my feeling on it. I could be wrong, but that's at least where I'm going with this. So again, that's my... It's my soapbox on Ed Julian and or Brooks Lee, but both of whom will probably make their big league debuts at some point this season, in which case, why are we making a big deal out of it? 
you know, I don't, I mean, no, it is important. It's an important conversation, but let's not, we just shouldn't pretend like it's the end of the world. And I'm including myself in on that conversation as well. So here's a couple other things uh, with the twins. And I'm going to take a look here at Max Kepler. So with Max Kepler, we've talked about him in our corner outfielding podcast. Go check it out on our last episode that we did on the Bombs Away podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you find your podcast will be the place to go to look at that. But for Max Kepler, we've talked about the shift ban and the shift ban and how it's not going to really help him that much. And I had a chance to write down some thoughts for zone coverage on my latest and explain why. Um, the shift ban, uh, and maybe the shift ban isn't the proper way to, to call it. It's more of a, uh, uh, the rule change is more of a shift regulation than a shift ban, but you get my point. You can't put a second baseman in shallow right field. Those days are over. And no player, at least anecdotally, seemed to have gotten bitten on the shift more than Max Kepler. He's yet to recapture the form of his career-best 2019 season, where, of course, he had 36 home runs and just beat the beat the ever-living you-know-what out of the baseball. Uh, teams have shifted more across baseball. Kepler's gone, uh, been unable to adjust with that. If you look at the shift rate, it's gone up, not tremendously, but steadily over the last handful of of seasons as more and more teams start doing it. Um, and Kepler saw the shift in 72% of his at-bats in 2019. That number went up to almost 90% last season. After uh, two seasons in 2020 and 2021, which were average and not really productive for Max Kepler, uh, he declined in production. He only had an OPS not even scraping 700 this uh, in 2022. Um, so after MLB basically got rid of the shift or at least got rid of the shift in the form that we all knew it, everybody thought, well, Hey, Max Kepler is going to be just fine. He's going to start hitting again. And there's the Dan Hayes article that talked about his expected batting average on a couple of big hits and how could have changed. And Dan Hayes, a good reporter. He had a good article, but I'm just saying like, there's, there's definitely a counterpoint to the shift. I get where people are coming from. It's not that there's no data to support that, but I think the data support more that Max Kepler doesn't just need to quote unquote, beat the shift or just doesn't need to, you know, say, oh, well, now that the shift ban is gone or at least reduced, then I'm fine. And there's no need for me to really change my game. And that's not quite true either. Um, interestingly enough, Kepler has hit better against the shift than with a traditional defense. Although you could rule that with a little bit of small sample size uh, versus non-shifting and shifting, he's gotten shifted 90% of the time. So the other 10% is that an accurate guesstimate of how good he actually is versus a more traditional defense. That kind of remains to be seen, but you get my point. Uh, Kepler should improve against less dramatic shifts. That's not the question. He'll be better, but to say that he's going to be marginally better is a bit of a stretch. I'm not quite ready to, to jump on that train of thought just yet. When Kepler hits the ball, uh, hits it with an above-average exit velocity consistently uh, doing that's the problem, though, uh, because he had uh, or his uh, his uh, walk-to-strikeout ratio uh, was sitting at a .74, and at the same time, uh, so he had a career best with his walk-to-strikeout percentage. So he was drawing walks, he was doing all that kind of stuff, he was not striking out. He was making contact with the baseball a lot. But he would only barrel it up 7% of the time and 40 of the time he had an actual hard hit percentage. So he's and he's was trying to hit the ball the other way more to beat the shift. And now with the shift 
not necessarily going away because you still can move a left fielder over to over to shallow right center. You just can't be an infielder. The point is, Max Kepler is going to have to try to hit for power, and whether that means pulling the ball a little bit more or not is remains to be seen. But again, with Max Kepler, it's an important development for the Twins that he does turn it around because honestly, they probably should have just traded him and they never quite did it. I don't know if it's because they couldn't get the package they wanted in return. I don't know if it's because they really did want to go down with depth. Although part of me thinks that it probably has something to do with uh, probably has something to do with the fact that he wasn't very good last year and the twins couldn't get a lot for Kepler. So that's probably why Max Kepler's here. But anyway, you get my point. I probably would have just traded him and just, saw what I would have gotten and not really worried if I gave him away for basically nothing because the twins give away Gio Urshela for like what an a ball prospect. So it's not quite the same anyway. So those are a few news and notes to touch on with the Minnesota twins. Um, I think I should just say one more time with Max Kepler. It doesn't quite mean, I know I talked about him hitting the ball the other way. It doesn't quite mean he needs to become a three true outcomes guy and just pull the ball every single time. It just means he needs to find a way to generate a little bit more power in that swing, get a little bit of it more in the air because he's been rolling over the ball a ton. He has a very high ground ball percentage and he hasn't really to this point in his career. So it's kind of uh, uh, coming back to bite him a, a little bit in that regard. Anyway, so... Uh, uh, with that, I think it's a good time to wrap up the podcast. We did not get into the corner outfielders, but I promise you that discussion is coming. I've been starting to dig through a little bit, kind of see who the twins have. And we'll talk about it on the next podcast because we still have a couple more before we get to opening day. For Bombs Away, I'm CJ Baumgartner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>